Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. Find your sermon outline there in your bulletin. And let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15, please. Luke 15. You'll find that on page 1624. That's where we're going to start today. So we're in week five of a Lent series. It's a series about spiritual renewal. It's a series about preparing our hearts to remember the crucifixion, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, to remember his passion. We've suggested that giving up some things over a period of 40 days is fine if it helps us think more about the great sacrifice of Christ and if it draws us closer to him. But even better... If we can turn our Lenten practices into lifelong pursuits, and so far in our series we've suggested there's some really great lifelong pursuits. We've suggested that it would be great to fast with prayer more, don't you think? Or to commit to seasons of solitude or silence and every day to be reading scripture. How about to humble our hearts? Last week we looked at the principle of of showing kindness and generosity. These are all great lifelong pursuits. Well, today we're going to talk about the pursuit of a life or a heart that shows mercy and forgiveness. What we're going to be asking us to do today is to give up hard-heartedness. Anybody got any hard-heartedness this morning? If, If we're really honest with ourselves, there's stuff in all of our hearts that are hard. Our hearts can be hardened so easily. Hardened against others, judgmental toward others, unforgiving toward others. I mean, if Lent is supposed to be a season where we're preparing for and contemplating the sacrifice and forgiveness of Christ, wouldn't it make sense that during the season of Lent and for a lifelong pursuit, we would seek to have hearts full of mercy and forgiveness? Most of us if we're honest, have a hard time letting go of things. We hold on to things. Things that people do us wrong that we think we've been wronged in, we hold those things against them. I heard a story some time ago, a guy by the name of Dave Hagler. He works as an umpire in a recreational baseball league, and he was pulled over for driving too fast in the snow in Boulder, Colorado. He tried to talk the officer out of giving him a ticket by telling him how worried he was about insurance and how he's normally a very safe driver, on and on and on it went. The officer said that if he didn't like receiving the ticket, he should, number one, slow down, and two, he could take the matter to court. Well, at the first game of the next baseball season, Dave Hagler is umpiring behind the plate, and the first batter up is, can you believe it, that policeman. As the officer is about to step into the batter's box, they recognize each other. Long pause. The officer asks, so how did that thing go with the ticket? Hagler says, you'd better swing at everything. (laughs) A little girl was being punished by eating alone in the corner of the dining room. Family paid no attention at all until they heard her pray, I thank thee, Lord, for preparing a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. (laughs) 
I've heard people say, I can never forgive that person for what he did to me. I've heard that often. I've also heard people say, I can never be forgiven for what I've done. And I think in a crowd this size, there are probably both of those types of people here. There are people among us who we say we just cannot bring our hearts to bring forgiveness to the person that we're thinking about right now that has done this wrong to us. All of this begs the question of does God's mercy and forgiveness really apply? Does God's mercy and forgiveness cancel his justice? Can I expect that God can forgive me of any sin that I have committed? And does God really want me to forgive any sin that has been committed against me? All of these are really important themes and they're all essential to the life of a Christ follower. And yet if we're not careful, a hard heart comes in to all of our lives and we, we push that away in our lives. So there's just a couple of things we're going to do this morning. We're going to review two very simple parables that Jesus told about the themes of forgiveness. We're going to just review them and then we're going to kind of come out of those two parables with sort of a so what. Two principles about forgiveness out of two different parables that Jesus told and then the so what out of just a few New Testament references that's where we're going today. Um, it's interesting, too, because that we start here with the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, this parable that Jesus told. And it's interesting because a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Danny preached on the prodigal in his series on grace at 613 services. I was here two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And then uh, this last Wednesday at Dawn Patrol, our men's ministry, Pastor Mark Campbell uh, preached on the, on, uh, excuse me, on the uh, parable of the prodigal son. And here we are this morning doing that too. And I'm thinking, Lord, you have a message for us? I guess so. Because we didn't corroborate, we didn't talk about all of this, it's just sort of happening. So if you've been to like 613 and you've been to our men's ministry, here comes round three, all right? Are you ready for this? Now, the parable of the prodigal son is very familiar to most of us. It's here in Luke 15, and I'm just going to kind of read down through it rather quickly. Let's start in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Boy, we say this in such rote, easy manner. This is filled with passion, filled with uh, tension, Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together everything he had, set off on a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up, went back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He, he called one of the servants and asked them, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And the father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out, pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been uh, serving, slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, it's a familiar text, but let me give you a general principle that applies to this issue of forgiveness that I want to just kind of massage a little bit here this morning. Showing mercy and forgiveness toward others begins with seeing our own need for mercy and forgiveness. This is where it all begins. If you're going to have a heart, if I'm going to have a heart that displays mercy and forgiveness, I've got to recognize that I've got to see my own need first. Why did Jesus tell this parable? Well, it's, it tells us right in the text that right up at the top there were two groups of people that were gathering around listening to Jesus. There were the tax collectors, verse 1 of chapter 15, the sinners, the notorious sinners that were gathering around to hear him. But there were also the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Two groups of people. One group of people that thought it was okay to live whatever way you wanted to live. Do what pleases you. Forget about God. Live your own way. The irreligious people of Jesus' day were gathering around Jesus to hear him speak. And I have a feeling there's a lot of those kind of folks around today too. Have you seen any of them lately? But then there's this other group. There's this self-righteous do-gooder group. There's the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. The teachers and the Pharisees believed that if they could keep the law, they would please God. It was all about keeping the law, a stringent adherence to the law of God as a way of, of having relationship with God. And Jesus, it, it appears that in this parable, Jesus is actually pointing out that both the sinners, the notorious, the irreligious, and the people who think that striving to please God by keeping all the rules, both groups are alienated from him. And only until you see your need can you experience the forgiveness that God has for you. The stunning part of the parable is that God shows us, it illustrates that God can and does show mercy and forgiveness to the worst of sinners. The parable shows the father running to the son, embracing him, showing pardon. And his son not even saying a word as he's trying to explain that he's sinned and he's gone away from his father. His father won't even hear it. His father is too busy making the plans for celebration because this son that was lost has come home. Remember this. God forgives not only for our sakes but even more so for his sake. Let's just read out loud together Isaiah 43, 25. We'll put it on the screen. Ready? Here we go. This is God speaking. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. I love that, don't you? And maybe you've never seen that before. I blot out your transgressions for whose sake? God says, for my sake. 
We cannot come into a relationship with the living God until he clears the way. And this is what he did when he sent Jesus for us. This parable illustrates that there are that there are people alienated from God because of their sin, but God initiates, God opens the door. God says, I have paid the price. I have made the way. And if you're here this morning thinking in your heart, I could never be forgiven by God, all the stuff I've done, or that one thing that looms large in your mind this morning, take courage from this parable. Jesus told it to tell you that God is a God of mercy and love, and as far away as you could run, God would welcome you back today with open arms. God loves the sinner, and he, he pursues the sinner. But there's this other issue in this parable that is, that is equally powerful. And that is that the most, and maybe the most stunning part of the parable is that these Pharisees and teachers of the law pointing to them as the older brother in the story. Their perception of their own righteousness blinded them from seeing their own need of pardon. They were keeping the rules, but they were just as alienated from God. Because they thought that by their own works, they could make it right with God. But listen, whether you're alienated because you've run from God or alienated because of your own self-worthiness before God, you're still alienated. Out is out. And it's interesting that Jesus leaves this tension in the story by saying that only the younger one came home. The older one never came into the celebration. Maybe indicating that for some of us who, who have leaned so heavily on our self-righteousness that maybe that's the harder thing to overcome in life. Just to admit that it's not my works, it's not what I've done. There's something so beautiful and yet so hard to believe about grace that there's nothing I can do to deserve God's love for me. No matter how many rules I keep, if I haven't trusted in the simple, if I haven't said, God, it is your grace and mercy alone through Jesus, then, then I'm just as lost as the person who has run abandoned and run after every vice they could possibly have run after. Timothy Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, which I would highly recommend, he dissects through the entire book these two tensions between the, the younger son and the older son of the story of the prodigal. And he says in one section of his book, and I quote, he says, The gospel of Jesus is not religion or irreligion, not morality or immorality, not moralism or relativism, not conservatism or liberalism. Nor is it something halfway along the spectrum between two poles. It is something else altogether. The gospel declares, listen, the gospel declares everyone is wrong, but everyone is loved. I love that. Everyone is wrong, everyone is loved. And Jesus calls us to say, where are we? Well, if we can admit that we're wrong, then we acknowledge that we are loved, then we can enter into the Father's love. It starts with seeing our own need. Like David, we too can pray. Like he prayed in Psalm 51, 7 through 10. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. It's a beautiful prayer to pray, isn't it? 
That should be a, a reminder to us that God loves to hear our hearts, loves to respond, loves to forgive, is gracious and merciful to the most far away sinner and to the one who is far away because of their own self-righteousness. And God the Father says, he opens his arms and he says, would you come to me? And in a crowd this size this morning, I I just believe that there are some who have run from God, run into sin, run into vice, run into habits that you know are displeasing to God. And there's all these issues in your life and you think God will never accept me back. Hear the prodigal son story this morning and let Christ woo you back into his love. And for anyone who might be here this morning that have just leaned all the way into their own self-righteousness, their own sense of, I've accomplished this and that for God, and I've been here and there, and I've done all the things, and I've kept all the rules, but I've not leaned into the grace of God, trusting in His work at the cross alone in my life, until I've seen my need, you can be religious to the gills and miss heaven altogether. I know people who are so religious and I can't judge their hearts but it would appear from their lives that their whole form is about the externalism of their life. And I would admit to you as a pastor and a leader that wherever I have my biggest problems in my Christian life, it is leaning toward the stuff that I do and my, my uh, ability to sort of like manage a good life. And constantly the Lord is knocking those pinions out and reminding me that I am just as much a sinner as anyone else in this world and I can't lean on my own righteousness but only the righteousness in Jesus Christ. And this is a beautiful, freeing, loving, amazing truth that we embrace in the gospel this morning, is it not? That's the first thing. The second thing comes to us in Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Page 1527 in that book rack Bible, Matthew 18. Here's another parable that just gives us another side of this issue of forgiveness, showing mercy and forgiveness toward others. And what we learn here in Matthew 18 in the parable we're about to look at, verses 21, the parable of the unmerciful servant, is that Showing mercy and forgiveness toward others reveals the impact of God's mercy and forgiveness on our lives. Mm. In other words, until we've really sensed what Christ has done for us, it's, it's pretty difficult to sort of, you know, let that spill out over onto others. So in this parable, this kind of flows out of a question that, Peter asked the Lord Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And he asked the question up to seven, seven times. Now remember, in Jesus' day, um, there, there was a, sort of a sense that if you were sinned against and if you were to forgive, you could forgive up to three times. But after that, you should not forgive. You should not forgive. Wow, that's amazing. Um, And Jesus answers Peter's question by telling him a story. But before we get to that story, let me just ask you a question. What, What is the line for you? What is it, when is it that you say enough is enough? When is it that you say, you know, I've had it with you? 
We've all got a number. We've all got something in our mind where we say, I'm done. I mean, you see this in sports. You can only have a certain amount of fouls before you have to be removed from the game. In our penal system, uh, there are a certain number of violations before more stringent things come down. I mean, for first-time offenders, there's usually more leniency in the law. But second- and third-time offenders, we even have a three-strikes law. This is human nature. We keep a record, and when the number exceeds whatever we have stipulated is acceptable, the gavel comes down. Boom! I remember as a young kid knowing when it was for my parents. And this is how I knew. They would use my full name. Larry Arnold Vold. I knew. When I heard those three names, the gavel was coming down. What is it for you? So Peter sounds pretty generous when he says up to seven times. Well... Some translations, believe it or not, Jesus, in his answer, renders it 70 times 70. The point is not the number, but an exaggeration of falling short. So whatever seemed gracious to to, to Peter was not nearly enough. That's the point. And so Peter understands that what it is needs to be way more than what he's thinking. And so Jesus interjects this amazing Story, And you know the story. I Just refresh you. There was this guy that, let's pick it up in verse 23. There was a, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. By the way, 10,000 talents, that's a ridiculous number. Nobody, none of us here have 10,000 talents in the bank. Some have said this is probably worth in, you know, constant economy or constant dollars billions of dollars. And so this is a parable that has just a huge exaggeration for a point. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Well, there was no way to repay the debt. It was just sort of a punishment. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. Wow, what an amazing story that is. Then the servant went out and he found his fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. In equivalence, about 20 bucks. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell at his knees and begged him. Does this sound familiar? Be patient with me, I'll pay everything back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed And they went and told their master everything, what had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he would pay back what he owed. Now, this this is the hook of the story. (laughs) Look at this. Jesus. This is how my heavenly Father would treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. <sighs> Whoa. So now comes the, the, the kicker question. Is there anybody that we are holding, you know, something against because they have done some little chippy thing in our lives? And it might not even be little or in our minds chippy. It might be grievous, egregious. 
In comparison to what you have committed against God, someone once told me, you will never sin against someone else more than you've sinned against God. If we go through life with the mindset that people have done all these bad things to us, but we haven't really done much to God, then God's forgiveness is so cheap to us that anybody else is going to be held on the hook for our lives. And that's the point of this parable. Jesus is saying, when you get around the the reality of what God has done to forgive you, your sin, my sin, when we see our sin as so egregious to hurt and break the heart of the Father, yet out of his great abundant grace, he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins, to be the ultimate sacrifice. And once we've welcomed that sacrifice into our hearts, how could we ever look upon anyone else having done anything that could mount in any way a rival to what it means to be forgiven. And therefore our hearts would say, we forgive just the way we have been forgiven. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have, as we have forgiven our debtors. Or literally, in the same way as we have forgiven our debtors. I read an article recently that there's this place in the jungle where natives catch monkeys. (laughs) And the way they catch them is they set up these cages and they put whatever a monkey likes in the cage. But the monkeys are actually too smart to go into the cage. But here's what the monkeys do. This is where they're not so smart. They reach into the cage and they take this thing that they want and they won't let go of it. And when the captors come to catch the monkeys, the monkeys would rather hold on to that thing in the cage than to let go and be free. And as I thought about that, it's maybe just a kind of a goofy story to you, but I thought, I wonder if Satan uses the bait of unforgiveness to keep us trapped. You know, we just want to hang on to that thing. That thing that makes us so angry and that person changed my life and did this terrible thing in my life. And there are terrible things that have happened. I mean, let's face it. I ask, I'm asked sometimes by people, really, am I supposed, as a Christian, am I supposed to forgive anything that happens against me? And here's the, here's the biblical answer. Yes. Yes. We are obligated to forgive. Obligated. Uh, I, I was amazed just recounting some stories, and we're out of time. Don't have time to tell you much more, but some amazing stories, and we've heard them. Remember in 2006, I think it was, with the guy that walked into the little Amish schoolhouse and shot up all the kids there? And you remember that Amish community that got around even the deceased, fam- the families of the deceased children who gathered around the widow of the guy that did the shooting and loved on her and said that they forgave him and wanted to love her and actually took offerings together to help support this widow? I mean, I would say that that is a pretty amazing story of forgiveness. That's a reminder to us of what happens when we understand the forgiveness of Christ. Now, now don't get me wrong, forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. We're not always able to reconcile egregious things that have happened. But forgiveness, yes, we must forgive. It is our responsibility, it is our privilege, it is what we, it is the banner over our lives that we have received the greatest forgiveness of all. Who knows how we'll be tested in that in our lives Marriages that have broken, families that have broken, 
vows that are broken, finances that have been broken, businesses that have been broken, agreements that have been broken. What test will you have? What test have you had? What test will I have or have I had where I have to say, God, your forgiveness over me is enough for therefore I can forgive this sin and to forgive it in the name of Jesus so that the name of Jesus would be seen. Showing mercy and forgiveness toward others. Here's the last thing. This is the so what. Got to wrap this up. Opens the door for the gospel in our relationships. Remember, God says through Isaiah the prophet, though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will be as wool. Or Isaiah 44, 22, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Isn't that good? I love Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 32, 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from our own unrighteousness. When we forgive, we open the door for the gospel in our relationships. Here's a current story. Somebody driving through Castro Valley last Sunday morning was cut off by one of us coming into our church parking lot. And I got an email about that this week. This person's so offended. Almost killed my family. Just because this person was late for church. You Christians are hypocrites. You come to worship God, but you almost kill my family. I mean, that was the kind of language. And I sat there and listened to that. First, my, you know, I get a little defensive. Yeah, we got some bad drivers around here. I've worked the parking lot. I know. <laughs> but come on. And the Holy Spirit just kind of calmed me down. First, actually I'm, actually, I'm reading the email. I'm hoping it's not me. I'm, I'm trying to read down through this whole thing. <laughs> Okay, it wasn't me. It was a different car. Okay, all right. See how that works? Anyway. So I sent a little response back. Our apologies. We're certainly not perfect drivers. And if we would admit it to ourselves, all of us have hypocrisies in our lives. We're not always the people we say we are. And for whatever it's worth, sir, we've got 2,000 people that attend our church on a Sunday. Many of our People are seeking a relationship with God. We, we do not pretend that each one has a personal relationship with Jesus. And if they do, we talk long and hard about our testimony in this community, whatever we can do. Just a simple, gracious email. This person responded, thank you for reminding me of my own hypocrisies. I think, I, think the Lord, I think the Lord might just use a gentle, loving apology, a seeking to build a bridge, a forgiving heart to make it possible for someone to hear the gospel. I responded back, could we meet sometime? Have a coffee in our cafe. I want to send you a coffee card, just a little peace offering. Haven't heard back yet. That person might be sitting in this room today, right now. 
you're here, man, we love you. We're glad you're here. The point is, the point is, who needs to have the gospel door opened? Because we say, you're right. I was wrong. You know, there's someone in your life that needs to hear from you. Forgive me. I am wrong. There's someone that needs to hear you say, forgive me, I'm wrong. There's someone here that needs to say to God, God, forgive me, for I am wrong. And the great news is, is that when we come to the Lord with our hearts open, he promises to forgive. He promises to forgive. In Christ we have been forgiven. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4.32 says, Forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how about it? How about pursuing a life of mercy and forgiveness? And watch what God will do. Let's go to the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time this morning. Our time has gone by so quickly, Lord, but we love you and we thank you for your word and for the reminder today that forgiveness begins with you and somehow in your beautiful plan, you've allowed us to be a part of it in bringing it to others. Give us a heart that leans over for people. We're so defensive and we're so fragile in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be vulnerable enough to say, I'm wrong. Forgive me. I pray for our church family and this community. I pray for the church community all over this East Bay area. Pray for your people everywhere to have impact because we are gracious, mercy-filled, forgiving followers. And Lord, let your Holy Spirit now just do a work in our own lives And if there's someone here this morning that needs to hear from you, your spirit saying you are forgiven, may they trust in you. And if that's you, my friend, just simply offer to God your life. Confess as a sinner you need forgiveness and open your heart and invite him in to be your Lord and your Savior. He will meet you today, right here. Thank you, Lord. May your Holy Spirit be free in our, in our hearts to do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.